gentlemen, we have been discussing angels, the purpose of angels. And we've looked at some things in detail. Uh, pretty prominent definition for angels is messenger. That's something that we can all relate to, something we're all familiar with. Uh, we looked at the biblical history or, or whatever biblical history about angels we could find. For example, who created them and when they were created. Uh, how many are there? What is their nature and appearance? Their strength? Their intelligence? Uh, emotions? Wills? Their appearance? Do they have wings? Can they fly? We answered uh, a number of these questions. Then we looked at the relationship between angels and Jesus the relationship between man, angels, and Jesus. Uh, their habitat, where do they live, where do they come from? Scripture confirms that, that heaven is the place. And uh, when we were ending, we were covering the governmental levels among angels. We know that the heavenly host is God's angelic army, and because God is a God of order, he has order in his angelic ranks. For example, captains and generals, so to speak. And so we looked at these governmental levels among angels, and we came up with a few uh, thrones, dominions, principalities, authorities, powers or might, rulers or princes, and then archangels. And uh, we noticed something very interesting about all these angelic ranks that that their titles have something to do with power and dominion and authority. And we looked at an example of how Satan places an angel uh, or assigns an angel to a ruler of a nation to influence that ruler. We looked in Daniel chapter 10 where we came across the king of Persia and assigned to the king of Persia was an angelic creature known as the prince of Persia. And so that's how Satan's been doing it since then, and he's doing it now. Angelic spirits, not only are they assigned, because there's a, he has a, a huge army under his authority, and he has angels assigned to each and every person, but he has specific angels assigned to world leaders. Now, we looked at them in Scripture. We looked at the sons of God, the watchers. Uh, there are times in Scripture where we see the word star, and that's referring to an angel. We talked about the cherubim and the seraphim. Cherubim are four-winged creatures. The seraphim are six-winged creatures. Uh, the Bible also refers to living creatures. Some believe that living creatures are separate from cherubim and seraphim. I believe from Scripture that uh, cherubim and seraphim are two types of living creatures. And then lastly, we ended on the devil, somebody we don't like. And... Uh, we looked at his history. He once was an angel. You may know his name. What was his name? He was once known as Lucifer. Lucifer is not a bad name. Because Lucifer is a name that God gave this creature. And Lucifer means light bearer and morning star. Lucifer is a good name. He was also known as the anointed cherub that covers. So apparently he was a four-winged creature. However, we all know he messed up. 
And as a result of committing the first sin ever in the universe, he gave himself his current names. God did not create the devil. God did not name the devil. He created and named himself. God created Lucifer, and he created Lucifer for a purpose, because everything God does, everything he creates has a purpose. Now, he created him for a purpose. He was heaven's great choir master. He was a walking orchestra. There were instruments and stones built into his body. But uh, when he messed up as a result, because he was most likely, he, he, was probably, he was probably the head man in charge. And he got filled with pride. He had angels under his authority. I believe that he, it was his responsibility to literally, and, and we can only try to imagine what it would look like in the spirit realm, but I believe that he personally carried the praise and worship of the other angels directly to God. But he got filled with pride. He's now known as the devil and Satan. When he put his own will in opposition to the will of God, he committed treason. Therefore, we have the origin of evil. He exalted himself against God and became Satan, which means adversary. To justify himself, now look at this, he messes up but attempts to justify his actions. To justify himself, he accused God. And in doing that, he became the devil, for the devil means accuser. You notice the same, this pattern, Adam took this same pattern. Satan did not man up to his mistake and neither did Adam. And he accused God just like the devil accused God. What, what did Adam say to God? The woman you gave me. So to justify himself, he accused God and in doing that, he became the devil for the devil means accuser. His whole nature is to accuse, to throw and toss accusations. He's known as the accuser of the brethren. That's why he presents himself before the throne of God. Yes, he was kicked out of heaven, but he still has access to the heavenlies. That, that second heaven, the satanic realm, the satanic heavens, that's his territory, where he has access to the third heaven where God dwells and access through the first heaven into the earth realm where men dwell. This is how Lucifer became the devil and Satan and answers the question, did God make the devil, which gives us the answer, no, he made himself. Now, as God and Jesus have numerous titles, so does the devil. According to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, you don't have to go there. I'm just going to give you some of his titles. Uh, you can write them down if you'd like, or just write down the uh, scripture and verse, and you can look it up on your own time. But according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, he is known as the prince of the power of the air. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, he is known as the God of this age or God of this world. The God of this age. According to John chapter 14, verse 30, and John chapter 16, verse 11, that's John 14, 30, and John 16, 11. The scripture calls him the ruler of this world. If you're coming into Christianity, it, it, it may seem strange to say, well, well, if God's in charge, how could the devil be the ruler? Or how could he be the God of this 
world system. Remember when Jesus, when Satan tempted Jesus, do you remember when he showed him all the kingdoms? He says, I can deliver these to you. Well, how, how could he make that statement? How is it that he'd be able to deliver Jesus Christ, the Son of God, these kingdoms? Why? Because Adam handed him these kingdoms when he disobeyed. So he's the ruler or prince of this world. According to John 10.10, 10, now the context is talking about uh, false teachers or, 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 or a false shepherd, but, but you can make a reference to the enemy. But according to John 10.10, 10, he's known as the thief. He comes to do three things. What are they? Steal, kill, and destroy. According to John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says, You are like your father, the devil. There is no truth in him. He's the father of lies. According to Matthew 9, 34, he is known as the prince of demons. Now, we're not giving him, when we talk about Satan, we're not giving him attention. We're just, we're becoming aware of our adversary. We have to. We're in war. We're in battle. It'd be criminal not to get to know our enemy. According to 1 Peter 5.8, he is a roaring lion, or really, really he's like a roaring lion. Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, calls him the wicked one. Matthew 13, 19, calls him the wicked one. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, he's known as Belial or Belial, B-E-L-I-A-L. Matthew 12, 27, refers to him as Beelzebub. Revelation 12.9 refers to him as the dragon. Revelation 12.10 refers to him as the accuser of the brethren. Revelation chapter 20 verse 2 refers to him as the serpent. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, we are informed that God is not the author of confusion. Therefore, who is? Satan. He is referred to as the author of confusion. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, he's known as the tempter. He's known as the tempter. Is Bible study growing? Looks to me like it's growing. Praise God. Looks like Bible study's growing. According to, I was just a little side note. According to Malachi chapter 3, verse 11, he's known as the devourer. And lastly, Psalm 91, 3. He's known as the fowler. Psalm 91.3, he's known as the fowler. F-O-W-L-E-R. Turn to Matthew 12.26. Satan has 
a kingdom. Satan has a kingdom. Turn to Matthew 12, 26. When you have it, say, I have it. Matthew 12, 26 says, Jesus is speaking now. Now, when he's speaking, he's telling the truth. His information is accurate. Jesus says, if Satan cast out Satan, and why did he say that? Well, because uh, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man, and then the multitude, or the Pharisees, we talked about Pharisees. In verse 24, the Pharisees said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Well, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them something powerful. He says, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is divided, it can't stand. But notice what Jesus said. He didn't say some kingdoms. He said what? He said every kingdom. He said every kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Therefore, in verse 26, he says what? If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Even though he's a liar, even though there's no truth in him, he has order in his kingdom. The kingdom of darkness cannot be divided. If it's divided, he can't afford for his kingdom to be divided. Amen. If his kingdom is divided, his kingdom cannot stand. So even in the kingdom of darkness where there are foul spirits, demons and, and angels, there's order. They know who their master is. They know who has authority in that kingdom. What does he look like? What does the devil look like? Well, we talked about in Ezekiel, it describes uh, the way Lucifer looked. He was probably the most beautiful angel created. And then in second, uh, he has a grotesque nature as a result of wickedness. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 through 15 tell us that he has the ability to transform himself into an, into an angel of light. And what is his purpose in doing that? To deceive. To deceive. That, 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 that's his whole purpose. And it's happened before. Could happen again. New fates are popping up on the scene all the time. Some new belief system. Because either the devil or one of his ministers has appeared to someone as an angel of light. Because if they come as an angel of darkness, we're not going to receive that. Now, he knows he can't enter into the kingdom of God and try to start some new faith within the kingdom of God. He's made some attempts. He's made some attempts for uh, heretical teachings to go forth. But for the most part, he's going to appear to someone who's been disgruntled by the church, turned away by the church. And I'm talking all the way back in, into history. If you look at Mormonism, if you look at Islam, these individuals were, were uh, uh, confronted by some spirit by an angel. Muhammad claims that Gabriel appeared to him. I, have, I find no record of that in Scripture. I see, I see Gabriel having dealings with Daniel, with, with, with Zacharias, with, with Joseph, but no mention of Muhammad. Where would he get that? If, if the devil or one of his workers appears to him at, in his true nature and form, Muhammad wouldn't have received that. The devil knows he can't afford to do that, so he has to appear as an angel of light so a faith can be birthed and followers down the road can number into the billions. 
and then oppose Christianity. Now, has anyone ever heard of something called the Genesis Gap Theory? Genesis Gap Theory. Let's talk about that. Turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. God is an, such an awesome God that within His Word, He you know, has some verses here. When you look at them, you go, what does that mean? Or what's that about? Now, the Bible says that the, watch this now, that the secret things belong to Him, which means that there are some things we're just not going to find out. However, we are entitled to some deep things. We are entitled to deep things because 2 Corinthians chapter 6 informs us that the Spirit of God searches the deep things of God, and we've been given that Spirit. Amen. Therefore, we have covenant right into some deep things, but there are some deeper things known as secret things that strictly belong to Him. But, but we have, we, we have a, a, a biblical right to be curious about some things, wonder about some things. God made sure that we don't have to worry about certain things. We don't have to worry about salvation. We don't have to have a big debate about salvation. We know how to get to Jesus. We don't have to, we don't have to be concerned about being filled with the Spirit of God, even though a, a, a portion of the church does not believe in the infilling of the Spirit of God and speaking with other tongues and the gifts of the Spirit in operation. The devil's fighting that so hard because he knows what's going to happen. If every single member or every single person that claims to be a Christian was filled with the Spirit, his kingdom is in serious trouble. Genesis 1-1, are you there? Alright, it says in the beginning. Let me tell you, every verse in this Bible is spectacular. I just, I just saw something right when I said in the beginning. God was here before the beginning. He was here. God created something. He created the heavens and the earth. And for some reason, there's a period there. So we'll go with the period. This is in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says the earth was without form. Wait a minute. It says the earth was, that was without form and void and darkness. Well, wait a minute now. If God is a God of order and structure, how could he create something with no form? If God is a God of structure and order, how can he create something without form and void when Isaiah says that when his word goes forth, it cannot return to him what? Void. So if his word went forth in the beginning when he created, how could there be without form and void? Many scholars debate about this. It is not clear, concise, but many say if you look in between verse 1 and 2, you possibly could have billions upon billions upon billions of years. Some believe that this without form and without void is a result of Satan and the third of his angels being kicked out of heaven and impacting the earth, therefore causing chaos and darkness. Some believe that, now watch this, let me tell you why they believe this. Turn to Ezekiel 28. That's what makes the Word of God so much fun. You can go in, you can look at some things and say, hey, what do you think of this? And that's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to present some things to you to get your mental capacity working. 
Ezekiel 28. All right, now, some believe that Satan was in charge of the original earth. It's just a belief. I'm just, I just want to give you some information that's going to help us in our study. I'm not saying which route I take, because as I said, I, 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 don't, really, I don't really take a route when it's, it's not a whole lot of evidence to support it. But I just want to give you some things. Because there are two theories. There's the Genesis gap theory, and then there's a creationist theory. Now, a creationist is a Christian scientist, and I'm not talking about Christian science. This is a scientist who is born of the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit of God. A creationist believes that without a shadow of a doubt, this place has only been here 6,000 years. Don't even try to argue with me. You can't argue with me. I can prove to you without a doubt that the earth is only 6,000 years old. We have 6,000 years of biblical history, and all of these... Uh, carbon dating and, and theories that scientists and archaeologists use to prove that these bones are millions of years old. Their methods are tainted. That's what a creationist will tell you. Some of you may have heard of, uh, of a creationist. Anyone ever heard of, if you watch TBN, there's a gentleman by the name of Carl Baugh, Dr. Carl Baugh, brilliant man. There's another one. Some of you may have heard of Christ for the Nations, Dennis Gordon Lindsay. These guys are creationists. I mean, and you should read their books. Incredible information. But there's the Genesis Gap Theory and the Creationist Theory. Now, in the Genesis Gap Theory, it's believed that there could be billions upon billions of years in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Satan, when he was Lucifer, was in charge of this original earth, and there were inhabitants on this earth that he was in charge of. Ezekiel 28-13 says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, this could mean one of two things. It's talking about Eden on the earth, or... It could be referring to a place in heaven, a, a paradise-type garden, being that everything that we see in the physical realm is just a copy of what's already in the spirit realm. So it can go either way here. You'd have to choose the, the path. It has nothing to do with your salvation. It's, it's just for study's sake. It's not heresy. It's, 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 it's not false doctrine. It's just something to talk about. It says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, turn to... Uh, Isaiah chapter 14, look at the 12th verse. These are our two accounts of Lucifer in Scripture. Ezekiel 28, 11, 19, and Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through uh, 20. So let's look at Isaiah 14. And God is, he's the way Scriptures are worded will get you to think. I kid you not, it will cause you to think. If you're a thinker, I believe you all are thinkers. Now watch this now. They believe that Satan was in charge of this original earth. Now, if, if, if earth is here and there's a first heaven and there's a second heaven and there's a third heaven, then heaven would have to be above earth. Okay, now watch this. Isaiah 14, 12, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you, cut, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Verse 13 says, For you have said in your heart, watch this now, I will what? Ascend into heaven. Where would you have to be to ascend into heaven? 
You have to be under. Oh, that's just what I wanted you guys to say. See, it was not rocket science. Just to ascend into, you got to be under. All right, watch this now. He says, I will exalt my throne. Stop there. He just said he had a throne. He just said he had a throne. Now, if he has a throne, that means a throne must have been given to him. He must have been given jurisdiction over this throne. And what does he say? He says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. He's referring to the angels. He says that I'm going to exalt my throne above the other angels of God. Well, in order to exalt above the other angels, your throne has to be under them to exalt above them. He says, I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. He says, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. Watch this, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Well, the clouds are already under heaven. So how could he ascend above the clouds? Speculation just causes you to think. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So, some believe with the Genesis gap theory, that he was over this uh, original earth. He wanted to ascend or exalt his throne above the stars of God. Therefore, he was found guilty of treason. He was kicked out of heaven. A third of the angels followed with him. That impact hit the earth and threw it into total chaos. Scientists, majority of them believe that there were creatures that existed on this earth known as dinosaurs. And majority of them believe that a great meteor hit the earth, wiped them out. Some believe that meteor or that great impact was the devil and a third of his angels impacting this earth, throwing it into total chaos. Therefore, we have our without form and void and darkness. Just something to think about. What happened in between these two verses that caused chaos could possibly be that. How can there be any void from the words of Almighty God? It's impossible. So it appears like something could have taken place to cause this without form and void and darkness. Now, but some say, well, and then, and then that, that opens the door for other discussions. Discussions like the, pre, the, the pre-Adamites or, or, or pre-man, pre-Adam, men that were here or, 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 or individuals that were here before Adam. Some believe that when the, the devil hit the earth, that, that the chaos that took place wiped out every creature on that earth, and therefore they became bodiless spirits, giving us the origin of demons. Now, I like that. That sounds really good. It's just that I don't believe that's the origin of demons. I have something better for you later on. But, um, so, you know, we, it's a belief system. It's what some, some individuals believe. And there are scriptures that kind of point to it seems like there were some things taking place before Adam. I mean, if you go to Genesis chapter uh, 1 and 2 and you look at the description of Eden, it's like, gosh, well, why is all this taking place? It seems like there were some people here already or, or something was here already. You just kind of get that feeling, but it's not a guarantee. All right. There are also angels of judgment. We see that in Scripture. As a matter of fact, every angel has an assignment. There are angel, angels over water, fire, angels of the seven churches we read about in Revelation, ones who blow the seven trumpets, those who administer the seven plagues, 
one who has the key to the bottomless pit and has a great chain in his hand to bind the dragon and angels that escort you to heaven. However, angels cannot do all things. Angels are not omnipotent. They are not omniscient. They are not omnipresent. Now, because there's a lot of them, they can cover a lot of ground. But they are not omniscient, omnipotent, or omnipresent. Angels cannot do all things. Angels cannot call God Father. Angels were never told to preach the gospel to every creature and make disciples of nations. Angels cannot be redeemed or conform to the image of Christ. They cannot indwell men, should not act on their own will. I want to say cannot, but we saw what happened with Lucifer. But I believe if an angel is smart enough to see what happened to Lucifer, he'd say, I won't do that. Similarly, that would just make sense. They shouldn't act on their own will. They do not become human. They do not judge men. They are not omnipresent, and they are not to receive worship. Satan knows that angel can't do all, angels can't do all these things. There are numerous reasons as to why he hates man so much. Oh, he hates us with a passion. For those that believe that the earth is older than what Bible scholars say, believe that Satan was here in charge of this garden and lost authority of that garden, then was able to observe God create some creature that he considered his favorite. Angels witnessed the creation of man. And if you didn't know it, you'll know it now. You are his crowning achievement. He sees the creation of man and he says, wait a minute, what is this about? And then witnesses God hand dominion over to mankind. Now what if Satan did dwell, the gar dwell in the garden and was in charge of this place? Wouldn't he fight with every inch of his body, with every inch of his being, to snatch that dominion back? And look what happened. He tricked man. Why? Because he first deceived himself and realized this works. He deceives himself. He says, if I can deceive me, and not only that, if I can deceive a third of the angels, because guess what? Only one angel at first was found evil. But angels have only been, been, been confronted with things that are good. Therefore, you've got, you've got an angel that's your boss that up until this point, everything he's told you has been right. So now he says, go with me. And they went with them, and now they are evil. But he realized, hey, I could deceive me, I deceived a third, let me try and deceive man. And he deceived man. But of course, God had a contingency plan. God, devil knows, the devil knows that in, in, in close quarters combat, when it comes to power and strength, we are no match. Absolutely not. Don't waste your time arm wrestling, fighting, getting down with an angel because you're gonna lose. But if I was an angel 
and I was stronger than you, I'd be upset with you and God too if you could bind me with simply your words. <laughs> Throw strength and power out the, wall, out the window. I have authority. So I don't care how big and strong he is, all I have to do is say somebody's name and he trembles. And I have legal authority to use that name. I'd be upset with man also. Let us look now at a particular angel that intrigues me. He's known as the angel of the Lord or the angel of God. Malak Yahweh or Malak Elohim. There's something interesting about this angel because, you know, angels are messengers. You know, God says, go tell him this. The angel says, yes, sir, takes the message, says, I'm just, I'm just doing my job. Guys told me to tell you this, so to speak. That's the job. But this angel of the Lord, when he speaks, he never speaks as on behalf of God. He speaks as if he is God. I'll show you what I mean. Turn to Genesis chapter 16. Now, some of you may have the traditional King James, and I like the traditional and I like the new. I like to have them both open during study time because um, something about the new King James that I like, it gives me the, the right capital letters. And you may be wondering, well, what's so important about a capital letter? It just helps me identify somebody. The traditional, because I'm going to read you some words from the New King James, and these words are capitalized. The traditional, it may not be capitalized, but it still has the same meaning. Genesis 16, 7. Are you there? Genesis 16, 7. Now, notice what I said. I did not say an angel of the Lord. What did I say? The, not an angel of the Lord, because all angels, at least the two-thirds that remain with God, are angels of the Lord. But I didn't say an angel of the Lord, I said the angel of the Lord. You know, some people, I mean, we know Christ shows up out of the womb of Mary. What was he doing before? A whole lot of time, I mean, it's been 2,000 years since birth and, and, and work and death, crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. What was he doing before that? What, what, what was he doing between Genesis and Malachi? Well, clearly he was active. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things that are made were, were made through him. And then as you drop down a few verses, you know it's talking about somebody in particular because it says, the Word became flesh. What was the Word doing before He became flesh? Now, I can see in Scripture clearly that God was active, that the Spirit of God was active, but it'd be hard to convince me that the second person in the Godhead was doing nothing. Let's look at something. Genesis 16, 7 says, now the angel of the Lord. If you have the New King James Version, you notice the A is a capital A. Why would the 
writers or translators feel the need to capitalize this A. What purpose? It says, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, capital H. What's that about? And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai, or Sarai. Verse 9 says, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your masters and submit to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Watch this now. I want you to see this. Verse 10 says, then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will. Stop. Stop. According to the pattern of, 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 of angels and, and, and how it works in the celestial hierarchy, what's an angel doing saying, I will? Because the last angel that said, I will, five times, God turned around and gave him five I wills and kicked his tail out of heaven. <laughs> this angel just said, I will. Oh, but then look what he says. He says, I will multiply your descendants. Hold up, who do you think you are? That's job, God's job. God is in the business of multiplying descendants. Who does this angel think he is to where he can go up to a person and say, I will multiply? He didn't say God said he would. He didn't say God will. He said, I will. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. Wow. Okay. Look now at Genesis 21. 17th verse. Genesis 21, 17. It says, and God heard the voice of the lad. Who heard the voice of the lad? So the verse says God. And then it says, then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven. Okay, now watch this. It looks like, apparently, you notice it's a lowercase a in this context. I, I, for some reason, I believe that they missed this one because of what we're about to read. But notice this. It appears that the scripture identifies two individuals, right? It says God what? God heard the voice, and then it says the angel of God called out of heaven. But let me inform you of something. In your study, just go back for a second. In all the scriptures that you've read, when an, where an angel has shown up, usually, or in most cases, the angel is there. In other words, standing next to the person, or in the same vicinity of the person, this angel calls out of heaven. There are times where this angel calls out of heaven. It says, and God heard the voice of the lad, then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Okay, so it sounds like, you know, this is God and the angel of God. Well, the angel says, for God has heard, but watch this. Verse 18 says, this is the angel still speaking. It says, arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. There it is again. This angel of the Lord, angel of God, Malach Yahweh, Malach Elohim, saying, I will. Look at Genesis chapter 22. As many times as I've read Genesis 22, it seemed like I never noticed who was speaking from heaven. 
Genesis 22, look at verse 11. It says, but the angel of the Lord, there's that capital A again. It says, call to him from heaven, call to who? Abraham. Call to him from, from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. Verse 12, and he, capital H, said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Okay, sounds like the angel is telling Abraham, now I know that you fear God. But then that same angel is still speaking and says, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from, not God, but me. Well, angel, who, who are you to where I would even make this sacrifice on, on, I got my instructions from God, but the angel of the Lord said, you haven't withheld your son, your only son from me. All right, look at verse 15. It says, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn. What do you mean by yourself you have sworn? You're an angel. You're not in the business of swearing. That's something God does. Yet this angel is speaking as, not on behalf of God, He's speaking as if he is God. He says, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you. Angels don't bless. And multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. Angels don't multiply. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed God's voice, because you have obeyed my voice. This angel's got an interesting way of speaking. Turn to Genesis 31. That individual that we read in Genesis 16 and Genesis 21 and Genesis 22, he's somebody. He's somebody. He, he's no mere angel. Genesis 31, verse 11 says, Then the angel of God, there it is, capital A, spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. If I have seen all that Laban is doing to you, I am the God of Bethel. Where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. I am the God made a vow to me. Who is this angel? Because the only other person that I can think of that when he speaks in the first person, it's as if God is speaking is Jesus. Look at Exodus chapter 3. Oh, we know the burning bush scenario, don't we? And up until this point, I'd have bet money that it was God speaking from the bush. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, when you have it, say I have it. All right, now Moses, we know Moses. He was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 2 says, and the who? Angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. Really? The angel of the Lord appeared to him. 
So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. So what did Moses see in the bush? Who did he see? Who did he see? What did the verse say? The verse said that Moses saw, which means he used his eyes, did he not? He looked upon the bush, and within the bush was the angel of the Lord. So Moses saw. Verse 4, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him. I'm sorry, verse 3. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn. He's looking at the bush. He's looking at the angel of the Lord, calling to him from the, from the, from the bush. Verse 4, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. Verse 2 said the angel of the Lord appeared to him from the midst of the bush. Verse 4 says God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Verse 6, moreover, he said, who's the he? Scripture said God called, but the Scripture first said the angel of the Lord. So the angel of the Lord is speaking. God is speaking. Moreover, this angel says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. But wait a minute, Moses, you already looked. Why are you hiding your face now? Oh, I can't let you in on that yet. But there's a reason because there is a principle in place as a result of the fall of mankind as to why Moses hid his face when he knew God was in the midst of the bush. But he was already looking at the bush when the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Drop down to verse 14. Angel still speaking. This is, and God said to Moses, after Moses says, well, who shall I say sent me? God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am that I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Who is this angel? Turn to Numbers 22. Oh, sometimes I wish we had like two hours because ah. Numbers 22 I'm going to just tell you in advance you will be left hanging no question so you just better come to Bible study every week be on the lookout for when I return Numbers 22 Numbers 22 verse 21 we know about Balaam. We know about the speaking donkey. It says, So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him, and he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in his way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam strung the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with the wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. 
Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. It's like, Balaam, you, you didn't see the angel? It's going gonna, it's gonna to require this. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? It's kind of hilarious, Balaam's response, because what would most of us do if our donkey turned around and spoke to us? <laughs> but verse 29 says, and Balaam, he just spoke right back to the donkey like he's used to seeing stuff like this. It says, because you have abused me. Now he's arguing with the donkey. I wish there were a sword in my hand for now I would kill you. You really that upset with the donkey? So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey in which you have written ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. There's this angel of the Lord again. Turn to Judges chapter 2. Book of Judges chapter 2. Now, an angel should shun worship. It's often in Scripture, when men would see these holy creatures, they would, they would bow down. And you can tell by the response of the angel as to whether this angel shunned the worship or received the worship. And it appears now when Balaam bowed down that this angel received the worship. What did I say? Judges chapter 2? All right. Uh, verse 1 says, Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bacham and said, I laid you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. I thought God did that. This is, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you. I, I thought God said that. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tell, tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed, not God's voice, but my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Stay in Judges. Look at chapter 6. Look at verse 10. Judges 16. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, and belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. 
It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Scripture earlier identified him as the angel of the Lord. Now it says the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here. I pray until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. Gideon's talking to this angel, but he's talking to this angel as if he's talking to God. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread, and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, so Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. There's a reason as to why he's excited about this. He's excited and realizes that he just saw the angel of the Lord face to face. Verse 23 says, Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Watch this. He says, Do not fear. You shall not die. Why would God say that? There's a reason why he said that. He said that regarding the same reason as to why Moses hid his face. See, Gideon says, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He's like, Oh my gosh, I just saw. He's basically saying, Oh my God, I just saw God face to face. And God says, Don't fret. You won't die. There's a reason why he said that. Ah. All right, stay in Judges. Look at chapter 13. Oh. Time is not friendly. Judges 13. All right. Um, look at verse 3. We're looking at the birth of Samson here. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. All right, we get some details. We drop down to verse nine. It says, and God listened to the voice of Manoah and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Now, stay in that same chapter. Look at verse 16. It says, The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food, but if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord, for Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Okay. Put your finger here and rush over to Isaiah 9.6. Keep your finger on, on Judges 13.17 and turn over to Isaiah 9.6. I'm going to just go ahead and tell you this now and get it out the way. I believe that the angel of the Lord is Christ in the Old Covenant or the pre-incarnate Christ? The angel of the Lord was Jesus. Now watch this. Oh, I'm going to be able to slide this in. Isaiah 9, 6, are you there? 
Watch this now. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Unto us a child is born refers to Christ's humanity. For unto us a son is given refers to Christ's deity. That's why he's called the son of God, deity, son of man, humanity, Jesus Christ, humanity, Christ Jesus, deity. He's 100% man, and at the same time, he's 100% God. Isaiah 9, 6 says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Who's his? The child, the son, Jesus. And his name will be called. What's the first one? His name will be called Wonderful. Whose name will be called Wonderful? Christ's name will be called Wonderful. Turn back to Judges chapter 13. I should, I should end right here. His name shall be called what? His name shall be called what? His name shall be called what? Whose name? Christ. Look here in Judges 13, 17. It says, Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? And if you have the traditional, the word is secret, which literally translates into wonderful. Wow. His name shall be called Wonderful, and the angel of the Lord said, Why do you ask me my name, seeing it is wonderful? Wow. Wow, that's kind of heavy. Now, see, all of this ties in. The Wonderful, the angel, Christ, who has seen God, it, 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 it all ties in when... when I'm done with it. You always blow your mind. Now, sometimes in Scripture, you may see the words, the angel of the Lord. It's not a capital A. And you notice that this angel is not speaking like he's God. He's really not doing much speaking. He's slaying. In 2 Kings, he kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. In 1 Chronicles and 2 Samuel, he, he, he kills 70,000 soldiers. It's like he just... Now, some would say, well, if you say that the angel of the Lord... <laughs> I'm out of time. I'm out of time. We just got to pick up next time. Thanks for listening. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.